Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 179 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news that the ICO has issued an enforcement notice to the UK Ministry of Justice. We then travel to Gloucester, where Gloucester City Council has had a data breach. And then to Geneva in Switzerland, where the Red Cross have had a data breach. We then travelled to Pakistan, where a number of telecoms companies have suffered a data breach. And then to Manhattan, where bonobos have won a legal action brought by someone affected by a data breach that they had last year. We then travelled to Italy, where luxury Italian company Montclair has had a data breach. We then returned to the UK, where Simplify has had a data breach which has affected property buyers. And then to Warwick in the UK, where patient records have been found outside and closed GP surgery. We then travelled to Tennessee in the USA, where a healthcare technology company, QRS, faces a lawsuit after a data breach. And then we return to the UK and look at the key GDPR issues which are likely to come up during 2022. We then travel back to the USA to Pennsylvania, where Pennsylvania is introducing data breach legislation. And then to Brussels, where a Belgian court has clarified who can and who can't be your data protection officer, your DPO. We then travelled to the Republic of Ireland, where a survey has revealed a change in attitude of companies to GDPR. And then to France, where CNIL has issued fines for breaches of the Privacy Directive. We then returned to Brussels, where the Court of Appeal has given some judgments which affect the implementation of GDPR. And then finally this week, we have a look at what steps you should take to safeguard employee mailboxes when an employee leaves your company. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. We really love receiving your feedback. So if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, although due to the volume of feedback we receive, unfortunately, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Are you ready? The show is about to begin. And we begin this week with news that the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has threatened the UK Ministry of Justice with a £17.5 million fine over late processing of subject access requests. The UK's data watchdog has issued the Ministry of Justice with an enforcement order after the government department broke data protection laws by failing to process thousands of subject access requests without undue delay. The ICO said it was made aware of the backlog by the Ministry of Justice, the Data Controller, in January 2019 and spoke to the Ministry over the course of the year, modelling potential action. Then the pandemic hit, leading to a change in the ICO's approach to regulatory action, and it paused its action. By October 2020, the ICO asked for an update on the number of outstanding subject access requests, but the Ministry of Justice said it too was struggling under the COVID-19 outbreak and had sought to prioritise requests that were urgent due to legal proceedings like immigration hearings or police investigations. Between March and April last year, the Ministry of Justice told the ICO it had 5,956 subject access requests that it had only partially responded to, including 372 that were made in 2018. In a further update in May 2021, the number of subject access requests only partially responded to had climbed to 6,398. The Ministry of Justice informed the ICO that full service for subject access requests will resume in October, notwithstanding any further unforeseen restrictions. The number of overdue subject access requests had risen yet again by August to 7,752, with 25 requests that had received no response at all, and 7,728 which had received a partial response. The Ministry of Justice told the ICO that 960 subject access requests considered out of time 
prior to the pandemic would be responded to in full by the close of May this year. The Ministry of Justice told the ICO, as quoted in the enforcement notice, that there were other routes for people to find out the information held on them, and of course they could submit a further subject access request after the pandemic had passed. Despite the backlog, the Ministry of Justice told the data regulator it received 34 complaints from people who had requested data held on them, but only had a partial or no response. The Ministry of Justice told the ICO it was reliant on the provision of manual and electronic information, but operational capacity was limited by top ID 19 restrictions, something the ICO acknowledged, saying the Ministry of Justice had tried to comply with its statutory duties with regard to subject access requests. However, the ICO said in its enforcement notice, the substantial number of subject access requests which remain outstanding and which are out of time for compliance is a cause of significant concern for the Commissioner. These concerns demonstrate that the controller is currently failing to adhere to its obligations in respect of information rights to the data subjects for whom it processes data. Previous meetings and correspondence between the controller and commissioner have proven largely ineffective in reducing the number of outstanding subject access requests. As such, the Ministry of Justice was ruled to have contravened Chapter 3, Article 15 of the EU and UK GDPR and Section 45 of the Data Protection Act 2018, because it failed to inform the relevant data subjects without undue delay whether their personal data was being processed by the Ministry of Justice or on behalf of the Ministry of Justice, and if so, to provide access to it in an intelligible form. The ISO determined the shortfall in response to subject access requests was likely to cause damage or distress to individuals trying to ascertain what information is held on them and were unable to effectively exercise various other rights afforded to them by law to the data subject. The enforcement notice was considered to be a proportionate regulatory step to bring the controller into compliance, it said. The Ministry of Justice should now take steps to comply with the legislation, devise a recovery plan and better inform people of any delays to processing subject access requests, the ISO said. Failure to imply the notice may result in a penalty notice of up to £17.5 million. The Ministry of Justice has 28 days from the dispatch of the enforcement notice to lodge an appeal. A spokesman from the Ministry of Justice said in a statement... We take our responsibilities seriously and have set out an action plan to clear the backlog. Now, of course, the enforcement notice is a legally binding obligation on the Ministry of Justice to take the steps which the ICO has requested that they take. Some might see the irony in this being the Ministry of Justice, which is not complying with the law. In some ways, maybe it's echoing Boris Johnson and not understanding when a party is not a party. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com to Gloucester in the UK now and Gloucester City Council has confirmed a cyber incident which is affecting a number of its systems and services with residents experiencing service outages. Gloucester City Council said it's currently working with the National Cyber Security Centre and the National Crime Agency to fully understand the nature of the incident. Gloucester City Council sources said the attack is believed to be linked to Russian hackers adding the council first became aware of the incident on the 20th of December 2021. The council is believed to have been hit with a form of sleeper malware that infected an officer's computer via a malicious email. The malware has also thought to have laid dormant on the network for some time before its malicious payload was launched. Gloucester City Council said residents can expect delays to services and is handling the most urgent resident inquiries as a matter of priority via email. Various online application forms for council services such as council tax support, housing benefit, housing payments and test and trace support are all delayed or down. We are aware of an incident impacting Gloucester City Council, a National Crime Agency spokesperson said in a statement, while the National Cyber Security Centre said, National Crime Agency officers are working alongside partners in the National Cyber Security Centre to better understand the incident and support the council. The ICO said it had been made aware of the incident and is in the process of making inquiries. 
In a statement, Gloucester City Council said, we'll provide updates on services as soon as we're able to. However, we are focusing on managing any urgent customer issues and continue to work with the national agencies and our IT partners to bring our systems back online as quickly as possible. As the situation is still being investigated, it's unfortunately not possible to give a current time frame for when we're able to resolve the issues and we're unable to share any further details as it's an active investigation. It added residents can still access advice and information via our website, including emergency numbers if you need to contact us. We're taking the situation extremely seriously and thank residents for their cooperation and understanding. Gloucester residents are advised if they cannot find the information they want on the council's website, they can call 01452 396 396 or email here to help at gloucester.gov.uk for assistance. Gloucester City Council was previously fined £100,000 by the ICO in 2014 for a data breach involving an exploit of the Heartbleed floor in the OpenSSL software library. In that instance, the council lost 30,000 emails to hackers containing personal information belonging to employees after it knowingly failed to patch the widely publicised security vulnerability. If we receive any further updates either from the ICO or from Gloucester City Council, we will of course bring them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Geneva in Switzerland now, and the International Committee of the Red Cross has revealed a major data breach that compromised the personal details of over 515,000 highly vulnerable victims. The information was stolen from a Swiss contractor that stores the data on behalf of the Red Cross, which has its headquarters in Geneva. The Red Cross claimed it originated from at least 60 Red Cross and Red Crescent national societies worldwide. Some of the most vulnerable members of society are affected, including individuals separated from their families due to conflict, migration and disaster, missing persons and their families and people in detention, it said. Robert Mardini, the Red Cross's Director General, said, An attack on the data of people who are missing makes the anguish and suffering for families even more difficult to endure. We're all appalled and perplexed that this humanitarian information would be targeted and compromised. This cyber attack puts vulnerable people, those already in need of humanitarian services, at further risk. There's no indication that any of the information has yet been shared publicly, but that's no guarantee that it won't in the future. Robert Mardini went on to plead with those who'd taken the data, saying, Your actions could potentially cause yet more harm and pain to those who have already endured untold suffering. The real people, the real families behind the information you now have, are among the world's least powerful. Please do the right thing. Do not share or leak or otherwise use this data. It's not yet clear whether the attack was a criminal attack or whether it was state-sponsored. As a result of the attack, the Red Cross said it had been forced to shut down its Restoring Family Link service, which it claims reunites 12 missing people on average with their families every day. If we receive any update on this from the Red Cross, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. To Pakistan now, and telecommunication companies have denied allegations that sensitive information belonging to telecom subscribers has been leaked and is available on the internet. The denial comes after news has been circulating for the past few days regarding an alleged breach of Telenor's and Jazz's databases. According to screenshots posted by some Twitter accounts, the leaked information includes names, mobile numbers, CNIC numbers and addresses of Telecom subscribers. The Twitter accounts have also alleged that the data is being sold on Telegram in exchange for cryptocurrencies equivalent of just US$250. Turn the head of communications, Saad Mustafa, denied the allegations and said some elements on social media were alleging that customer information of more than one Pakistani mobile operator has been compromised and is available on the web. 
Based on our initial internal investigations, we can confirm that no customer data breach has transpired from any of Telenor Pakistan's systems. We continue to further investigate the matter. Telenor Pakistan strongly believes in customer data privacy and takes all matters related to cybersecurity very seriously. We have in place advanced and comprehensive cybersecurity systems and procedures to detect and fend off cyber attacks and take necessary protective measures. Our paramount priority is to keep our customers' data secure. In a statement, Jazz said, Jazz continues to develop advanced cybersecurity capabilities to actively protect its networks, products and customer data. There have been no reports of any unwanted activity on our network or a breach of our subscribers' data. Protection of customers' data in compliance with relevant authorities and legal frameworks remains our key priority. Alleged claims of data leaked on social media, although seem baseless, will still be investigated in line with the importance that Jazz attaches to data security. Incidents of data breaches have been a recurring event in Pakistan over the past few years. In 2020, Reuters, a cybersecurity firm in Pakistan, discovered a data dump of 115 million Pakistani mobile users that was being sold on the dark web. These datasets contain personal information like CNIC numbers, addresses, phone numbers and biometric details. However, while the matter is of critical importance, the Ministry of Information Technology and Communications has been unable to get the Personal Data Protection Bill approved by the Pakistan Assembly as we go to broadcast. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To America now, and if you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you might remember that back in episode 128, we brought you details of a data breach at e-commerce menswear company Bonobos. Well, this week... Bonobos won its bid to dismiss a lawsuit related to that data breach as a Manhattan federal judge found that a New York online shopper lacked the standing to bring the same. U.S. District Judge Jesse Furman tossed the proposed class action against the subsidiary of Walmart, Inc. in the decision in which he weighed factors related to showing a substantial risk of identity theft or fraud to pursue a data breach lawsuit in the federal court. Put simply, given the age and nature of the data, the risk of identity theft or fraud is too remote to constitute injury in fact, the judge wrote. Plaintiff Bradley Cooper of New York had filed his lawsuit last year alleging that hackers had accessed a Bonobo's external cloud backup database in August 2020, stole some or all of its 7 million online customers' personal information and posted the data in a hacker website forum. Cooper had entered his personal data in 2013. Bonobos sent notices to customers, including Cooper, in January 2021, the complaint said. The judge in the decision evaluated Cooper's claims of injury against factors, including whether the data was intentionally stolen, if the data had been misused, and whether the information was sensitive in nature. Ruling in Bonobos' favour, he found the plaintiff failed to allege any injuries that are certainly impending or based on a substantial risk that the harm will occur. For Walmart, a representative said in an email, we appreciate the court's thorough review and thoughtful decision dismissing Mr. Cooper's case. We have always taken our customers' privacy seriously and will continue to do so. A lawyer for the plaintiff from George Jester MacDonald did not reply to a request for comment. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Italy now, and Montclair, a Italian luxury brand, confirmed that they've suffered a data breach. Files were stolen by the ALF v Black Cat ransomware operation in December and published on the dark web earlier this week. Montclair announced an interruption to its IT services in the final week of 2021, noting it would be a temporary outage. In a statement, the company said the logistics activities related to shipping of final products had been reactivated. In addition, the company is prioritising shipments for its e-commerce customers and returning to four operations. We deeply regret any inconvenience caused by customers by delays in the shipments of orders and apologise 
for communication problems due to systems outage, Moncler stated. In a statement, Moncler confirmed that some data relating to its employees, former employees, suppliers, consultants, business partners and customers was leaked by the Alpha V Black Cat ransomware operation. With regard to information linked to customers, the company informs that no data relating to credit cards or other means of payment has been exfiltrated as the company does not store such data on its systems, Moncler said. If we receive any update from Moncler, we will bring it to you in a future episode of the GTV Weekly Show. Simplified Group, who owns several major conveyancing brands in the UK, was hit by a cyber attack that prevented thousands of home buyers from being able to complete their transactions and open them up to the threat of a data breach. Conveyancing brands, including the following, were all affected by the attack My Home Move, Move With Us, Premier Property Lawyers, JS Law, DC Law, and Advantage Property Lawyers. It was widely reported that Simplify had to immediately take down its systems while it addressed the situation, but this means that buyers and sellers were left in the dark about the extent of the situation and what data may have been exposed. (laughs) Hundreds of patients' confidential details were found outside an abandoned GP surgery in an unlocked filing cabinet. The documents included reference cards that included full names, dates of birth, addresses and NHS numbers. First reported in the Metro, the documents were left in a doorway for days before they were finally discovered outside the former primary medical centre in Warwick. A spokesperson for NHS Coventry and Warwickshire Clinical Commissioning Group, who we are the data controller in this case, said, This morning we were made aware of four mini-filing cabinets containing patient information found on unused GP practices premises in Warwick. Based on the information gathered to date, the data appears to be historic. This data has been recovered and secured according to information governance procedures and we are working with the practice to understand this data breach and any potential impact on patients. Returning to America now and to Tennessee, where a Tennessee-based healthcare technology services company is facing legal action over a cyber attack that occurred in August 2021. The class action lawsuit was filed against QRS Healthcare Solutions, an electric health record vendor and provider of integrated practice management and clinical services, including electronic patient portals. On August 26, 2021, QRS discovered that a cyber attacker had accessed a QRS dedicated patient portal server on which certain sensitive information was stored. According to a data security notice published by QOS on its website, the cyber attack involved the personal information including the health information of some of its clients' patients. The impacted server was taken offline when the attack was discovered and QOS hired a digital forensic security firm to analyse the incident. Investigators determined that an unknown attacker had accessed the server from August 23, 2021 until August 26, 2021, and may have acquired files containing protected health information of almost 320,000 patients. The information may have included, depending on the individual, their name, address, date of birth, social security number, patient identification number, portal username, and or medical treatment or diagnosis information, QRS said. In October, on behalf of its clients, QRS began sending written notifications to individuals whose personal information was accessed by the incident, The healthcare technology services company has also offered complimentary identity theft protection services to individuals whose social security numbers may have been compromised. Following the data breach, Kentucky resident Matthew Tincher has filed a class action complaint in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Tennessee against QRS. Tincher, who lives in Frankfurt, alleges that QRS failed to take reasonable action to secure monitor and maintain the personally identifiable information and personal health information stored on its patient portal. The lawsuit alleges that the data was stored by QRS in an unencrypted form. It also criticises QRS for waiting two months before sending out data breach notifications to impacted individuals. 
Once there is any progress in this talk case, we will, of course, bring you an update here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. As it's still January, we thought we'd look at some of the key issues which are going to come up for GDPR as we go through 2022. The first is going to be rewriting the standard contractual clauses because although we had new contractual clauses from the European Data Protection Board towards the end of last year, we're told that those themselves are going to be rewritten at some point in the coming year. And also we are still awaiting the standard contractual clauses from the UK ICO to fit with UK GDPR. And as soon as we have those, we will of course A, be transmitting them to our customers but B, bringing you details of them right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. The second issue which is going to arise for GDPR this year is just quite where does vaccination data sit and can an employer insist on knowing whether you've had the vaccination or not. Now, at the moment, as we speak, this only applies to the healthcare centre in the UK where they now have a legal obligation to check that their employees have had a vaccination. Although, of course, that's going to be spreading to the NHS in April this year and of course as COVID settles down may spread further and so we are certain that the whole issue of vaccination data and GDPR is going to occur at some point during 2022. What we would say to anyone at the moment is that unless you work in the healthcare sector or unless you're working in the NHS after April 2022 you have absolutely no legal obligation to tell your employer whether you've been vaccinated or not. And in fact, they have no legal basis under GDPR for storing that data. So if you're an employer listening to this and you're not in one of those two sectors in the UK, then you shouldn't be asking your employees whether they've had their vaccination or not. The third item which is likely to come up this year is the whole issue of data privacy notices because it follows on from the case which we mentioned in a recent episode of the GDPR Weekly Show against WhatsApp where they were fined because their data privacy notice was ruled not to be clear enough. And so we can see some clause of clarification of data privacy notices, particularly as well, of course, with implication of the Children's Code from the 2nd of September 2021 and the impact that has on privacy policies if your website is accessible to children under 16. But even if it's not, there are still words that need to go in your privacy policy. And if you're not sure about those, please do contact us via the contact details which are coming up at the end of this article. The fourth issue is about the minimisation of data. In December 2020, Groupon found itself in trouble when the Data Protection Authority ruled that it was keeping more data than it required because there is a requirement under Article 17 of GDPR to minimise the amount of personally identifiable information that you hold. And we would certainly concur that based on our experience of working with a wide range of companies now across the UK and indeed Ireland and the USA, that some companies still don't get this concept of minimising the amount of data that you hold. So again, if that's something you need help with, do contact us via the contact details coming up at the end. Another issue is going to be the whole issue of data sharing by public bodies. Because obviously during COVID in particular, there's been a lot of sharing of personal information between different government departments, not just here in the UK, but between different government departments in countries right across Europe and indeed right across the world. 
And so there are going to be questions about where does that data sharing, which has been done because it's ruled to be in the vital interest, which of course is one of the legitimate reasons for holding data under GDPR, but quite where does that line come? And that's going to be something we're sure, again, is going to be further discussed as we go through 2022. And then the final thing we think is going to crop on 2022 is the whole issue of data protection authorities flexing their muscles a little now that they can take action again as COVID settles down and as we move back into some sense of normality. Although I think we'd all agree that the landscape we're moving into is a very different landscape to the landscape that we were in pre-COVID. And we shouldn't actually return to that pre-COVID landscape because there are vital lessons that we've learned, including ability for people to work from home. And so there will be a need probably for DPAs to look at how they're enforcing GDPR based on that new world order in which we find ourselves. And again, that's an issue we'll, we'll come back to later in 2022. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Back to the USA now, and in particular to Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania has become the latest US state to introduce some data breach legislation. Pennsylvania State Senate passed a package of legislation on Wednesday aimed at preventing data security breaches and requiring victims and law enforcement officials to be notified when breaches happen. The bill's passage comes barely two weeks after the state's unemployment compensation system acknowledged that hackers had changed bank account information in some recipients' accounts so that payments went to the hackers instead. The bills passed nearly along party lines and don't go to the House of Representatives. Democrats said they were seeking changes to make some provisions more workable for state agencies. One bill would require the state to develop a strategy to prevent and respond to ransomware attacks. It also would bar state and local governments from using public money to pay for an extortion attempt during a ransomware attack. It includes an exception for the governor to allow it while a disaster emergency declaration is in force. The bill, however, does allow state agencies to buy insurance coverage for ransomware attacks. The bill also sets criminal penalties for perpetrators and allows victims to sue for damages. A second bill would require any state agency, school district or local government agency to notify victims in seven days of determining a breach of personal information. The bill applies to state contractors. That provision was added after the state health department last year fired a vendor that performed COVID-19 contact tracing because state officials said its employees exposed to private medical information of more than 70,000 Pennsylvania residents. An interesting reading from Belgium this week on quite who can be or should be your data protection officer, your DPO. You will know that GDPR requires that a company appoints a data protection officer, a DPO, when one of three criteria is met. Either the organisation is a public body or authority, or the core activities of the controllable processor consist of processing operations that require regular and systematic monitoring of data subjects on a large scale, or the core activities of the controllable processor consist of processing on a large scale of special category data or personal data relating to criminal convictions and offences. So that's when you need a DPO, or when you legally have to have a DPO, of course lots of companies and organisations who don't legally need to have a DPO still choose to have one because they use they can have an ensuring that the company or organisation remains GDPR compliant. But there's always been some questions over just who can be your DPO. It's long held that DPO cannot be someone who holds shares in your business, who 
stands to gain financially from the success or failure of the business other than the salary, which, of course, you argue that all employees stand to lose or gain based on the success of their company. But this new reading from Belgium has said that, for instance, your chief operating officer can't be your DPO. The Belgium Data Protection Authority imposed a fine of €50,000 upon the company Potsmouth SA for violations of the GDPR regarding the appointment of a DPO. The case examined whether the company's DPO also holding the role of Director of Audit, Risk and Compliance went against GDPR standard of conflict of interest. Article 38, paragraph 6 of GDPR states the data protection officer may fulfil other tasks and duties. The controller or processes to ensure that any such tasks or duties do not result in a conflict of interest. Conflicts of interest are determined on a case-by-case basis. In the case of Potsmouth SA, the Belgian DPA found the company originally had no policy to prevent conflicts of interest regarding the role. The company argued that as head of audit, risk and compliance, the individual's role is merely advisory, not one that can make decisions, and thus there would be necessary internal measures taken to avoid conflict of interest. The DPA felt that such an explanation undermined the responsibilities of the DPO. This leads the defendant to argue that the officer responsible for data protection has no task, including through its functions in each of the departments, allowing him to make decisions about the purpose and means of any processing of personal data, the DPA said. The DPA's opinion continues as follows and offers a notable benchmark for companies to consider when appointing a DPO. The defendant expressly stipulates that in addition to responsibilities as a data protection officer, that same person is also responsible for compliance, risk management and internal audit. This responsibility for each of these three departments undeniably implies that the person in that capacity has the objectives of, and the means for the processing of, personal data within those three departments and is therefore responsible for data processing processes that fall under the domain of compliance, risk management and internal audit as was established in an inspection. The data protection officer within the organisation cannot function where he or she has objectives and means for processing personal data. This is therefore a material conflict of interest. The role of the person in charge of the department cannot therefore be reconciled with the position of data protection officer who must be able to carry out his duties independently. By accumulating the position of responsibility of each of the three relevant departments separately on the one hand and the position of data protection officer on the other is missing for each of these three departments any possible independent supervision by the official for data protection. In addition, accumulating these functions can cause the secrecy and confidentiality towards employees in accordance with Article 38, Paragraph 5 of GDPR, which cannot be guaranteed sufficiently. The Disputes Chamber is therefore the opinion that the infringement of Article 38, Paragraph 6 of GDPR has been proven. So effectively what this means is that if you have an internal person as your DPO, as your data protection officer, then they can't be manager of another department. Their role has to be within a managerial role, just data protection. Now, of course, there are two ways around this. One is you could make a more junior member of staff, your data protection officer, but remembering that there is a requirement to ensure that the DPO always has direct access to the directors or officers at the top of an organisation. Or secondly, and our preferred option, and we have to have a disclaimer here and say, of course, we do provide this service ourselves, is to have an external DPO. We've always argued since GDPR came in that an external DPO is the best option. And some people listening may well say, well, you would say that because that's how you make some of your money. And that's true. We can't deny that. We do make money from being an external DPO to a number of organisations. But we would argue that the benefit we bring from being an external DPO 
far outweighs the cost to the organisation. So if you'd be interested in utilising our services as an external DPO, or even if you just want to question whether you need an external DPO, then please do get in touch with us using the contact details which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Earlier in this episode, we mentioned about vaccination status and whether employers should have a right to know whether their employees have been vaccinated or not. Well, interestingly, a survey carried out by McCann Fitzgerald LLP and Mazars in the Republic of Ireland has found that nearly two-thirds of Irish employers believe that they should have access to the vaccine status of their employees. A majority, 56% of organisations responding to the survey, said their inability to process employees' vaccine status had impacted their plans to return to the office. Interestingly, the vast majority of organisations surveyed were either currently operating a hybrid model of working, sharing time between home and office, which applied to 62%, or considering operating a hybrid model in the future, 33%, with just 5% saying that such a movie is not being considered. Nearly three quarters, 73%, have increased their cybersecurity to protect those working from home and to enhance protection of data. Interestingly though, belief that GDPR is beneficial for individuals has declined by 14% this year, from 83% down to 69%, while belief that compliance with GDPR places an excessive administrative burden on companies has grown by 16%, from 53% to 69% and belief that compliancy with GDPR will be beneficial for organisations' relations with their employees, customers and other shareholders in the long term has remained pretty stable at 71%. Meanwhile, anxiety about liability for non-compliance with GDPR is on the rise. Some 57% of surveyed organisations expressed concerns about fines for GDPR non-compliance, up from 46% last year. Over three quarters, 78%, agreed that the risks associated with GDPR non-compliance are increasing, while almost 7 in 10, 70%, said they were now more concerned about GDPR non-compliance than they had been in the past. Furthermore, more than 43% said they are concerned about civil action from data subjects. Respondents, a majority of whom were employed in organisations with more than 250 employees in Ireland, span financial services, public sector, technology and other sectors. Paul Lavery, partner and head of technology and innovation at McCann Fitzgerald, said this year's survey shows a decided shift in views towards GDPR. In recent years, a gradual trend towards comfort with the GDPR and appreciation of its benefits to individuals and organisations could be observed. However, much of this positive outlook has slid backwards in this year's figures. We can only speculate on exact reasons for the tuning of sentiment, but a growing view that the application of regulations to areas such as employee vaccine status or the international transfer of data have not been in the interest of businesses might be contributing to the perspective. To France now, and on New Year's Eve 2021, the French regulator, the Commission Nationale de l'Informatique et de Liberté, CNIL, issued fines to Facebook Ireland Limited, Google LLC and Google Ireland Limited for failure to comply with the French Data Protection Act. The decisions, although somewhat controversial, should act as a further prompt for companies to ensure that their cookie policies are in order. So just what were these penalties for? Well, Facebook's fine related to the difficulty of users refusing cookies on Facebook.com. For example, rejecting cookies required clicking through to a page entitled Accept Cookies. Facebook was deemed to have violated the French Data Protection Act, which implements the Privacy Directive. It was fined €60 million, 
and injunctive to make refusing cookies as easy as accepting them with a penalty of €100,000 per day for non-compliance. The Doodle fine was a combined €150 million Euros in respect of Doodle.fr and YouTube.com. Senior found it was easier for users to accept all cookies with one click than refuse them requiring several clicks, affecting users' freedom of consent. The fine was accompanied by a similar injunction to Facebook's. The size of the fine was based on the number of people affected and the considerable profit from advertising revenues indirectly generated by the data collected by cookies. Senior also noted that it had notified Doodle in February 2021 of its infringement and referred to its previous communications issuing guidance. So you might be thinking, well, why did the French regulator do this when Doodle and Facebook are having other hearings against them by the DPC in Ireland because DPC in Ireland is the lead regulator for Google and Facebook because that's where they have their European headquarters. Well, Senior argued that it wasn't a case of overriding the one-stop shop mechanism because it was basing this on breaches of the e-privacy directive and not GDPR. And under e-privacy directive, there isn't a concept of host data protection authority each data protection authority can take the action it considers appropriate. And that's the argument put forward by the French government. However, not everyone agrees with that argument. The senior decisions state that the companies infringe the French provision implementing Article 5, Paragraph 3 of the e-privacy directive, whereby consent is the only lawful basis in respect of cookies, but also note that the e-privacy directive refers out to GDPR for its definition of consent. As such, some people are arguing the actions should have been brought in Ireland because they're arguing that you can't separate the privacy directive and GDPR. It should be noted that Senior have been especially active in cookie enforcement. These sanctions for the previous cookie fines are issued to Google for €135 million Euros in December 2020. However, it looks like other European authorities are going to follow Senior's lead. As cited in the senior decisions, the Spanish authority has also issued several cookie-related sanctions exclusively grounded in their provisions implementing the e-privacy directive. DDPB established a cookie ban the task force in September 2021, partly in response to NOYB's cookie project. Meanwhile, the Italian regulator, Durante, issued updated guidance on cookies and other tracking tools which it deemed necessary in light of trends including incorrect implementation of the rules, numerous complaints being received, the ever-increasing spread of new technologies featuring a growing level of pervasiveness and the multiplication of users' online identities where cross-checking could enable the creation of increasingly specific and detailed profiles. Now, while these actions have all been in Europe and people in the UK might be thinking, well, that's OK, because thanks to Brexit, we have UK GDPR now and that doesn't apply to us, it is known that the ICO is looking with some interest into the French rulings to see whether it too can take action against companies here in the UK. However, it doesn't quite have the remat that the French Data Protection Authority does because here in the UK, the legislation of the e-privacy directive restricts UK fines to half a million pounds. So as we go through 2022, we'll be keeping a close eye on this to see whether other data protection authorities seek to their own interpretation of the e-privacy directive and whether they believe that they can take enforcement action against multinational companies even where they're not the host data protection authority. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Belgium now, and in a decision handed down on December 1st, 2021, the Brussels Market Court, Court of Appeal, had an opportunity to consider the GDPR right of access. 
The Belgian Ministry of Finance appealed the Belgian Supervisory Authority's recent decision requiring the Ministry to grant a complainant access to her financial file and make corrections to the file which described the complainant as a straw man. The market court's reasoning was interesting on two fronts. Firstly, the court held that the Supervisory Authority must consider and conduct some level of investigation into whether a complainant's request constitutes an abuse. In this case, the court found that the complainant used GDPR right of access to obtain information about possible fiscal investigations being conducted against her. The court used the term that this was a fishing expedition and thereby abused the GDPR's right of access. The Supervisory Authority violated its duty of care by not considering the complaint's intention behind the exercise of a right of access. This decision could be relevant in other contexts, such as HR processing, where the right of access is also often abused for purposes other than preventing or rectifying GDPR violations. In respect to the one-month deadline to respond to an access request under Article 12, Paragraph 5 of GDPR, the court indicated there's no immediate textual argument that allows to state that not complying scrupulously with the deadline unambiguously constitutes a violation. Still, the court indicated that one month's deadline is an end time within which response should be provided, unless there's a reasonable justification for exceeding it. As the Ministry granted access to a file under Freedom of Information regulations within one month, the court decided that there was not a violation of GDPR, despite the supervisory authorities' argument that these regulations represent two distinct legal regimes with separate standards that should be considered independently. And finally this week, we look at what you should do with an employee's email box after the employee has left your company. Most companies, as part of their standard procedures when an employee leaves, will bar an employee from access to their email inbox after they've left your employment. But what about you as a company? Can you keep that inbox open? Well, the guidance we have now from data protection authorities is that they accept that an employer may invoke a legitimate interest under Article 6, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph F of GDPR to leave a professional email account open for a certain period of time after the employee's termination as there may still be email relevant to the business coming into it. But in order to comply with its obligation of data minimisation, the company should ideally install an automatic message on the day that the employee leaves the company. The employee should be informed of this message but does not have the right to block it or amend it. The message should inform the email sender in hopefully neutral terms that the intended recipient no longer works for the company and provide the contact details of the person who should be contacted instead. Such messages should be sent for a reasonable period of time, which the data protection authorities have assessed to be one month. Depending on the context and the position and responsibilities of the employee, this period of one month may be extended to three months with the approval or at least the knowledge of the former employee. During this period, an alternative approach should also be developed to address the issue of the employee's departure and their mailbox. What these alternative arrangements should be, data protection authorities aren't agreed on. However, an automatic forwarding of emails to the named replacement is not a permitted alternative for these purposes, whether the auto-reply period is extended or not. After the period of one to three months, the email account should be deleted. The data protection authority does not address the situation where the employee is put on garden leave, so, in this case, does the one to three months start when they go on garden leave or does it start when they finally stop working for you? The general feel we've got from data tech authorities is that the one to three months period should start on the day they stop being an employee, i.e. that they stop being an active employee in your premises. So, the moment they go on garden leave, the items we've just discussed from one month to three months should take place from there. 
Dodgeston authorities also agree, though, that the employee should have the right to go through his work mailbox and delete his personal emails or forward them to his private email address. Equally, any professional emails in the mailbox that the company may need to ensure its proper functioning should also be dispatched to someone else within the company. This sifting of the mailbox should be done in the presence of the employee before his departure. If the exit is contentious, then the intervention of a person of trust is recommended. A procedure to this purpose should be included in the company's IT policy. And that's a really important bit, that these rules about the mailbox should now be included within your business's IT policy. Your IT policy should not be silent on this issue. This is notable because in a Belgian court, an employer was fined €15,000 because it didn't detail what would happen to an ex-employee's mailbox within any of its policies. There's no indication of who should be considered to be the person of trust where the departure is contentious, but it obviously shouldn't be anybody who was involved in the dismissal of the employee. Or you might indeed agree that your DPO should do it, or you might agree that you get in an external GDPR person for that period just to sift through that employee's mailbox. But just to stress once again, the important thing is you've got to have rules about what you're doing, and those rules have to appear in your IT policy. So if they don't, if your IT policy is silent on that, then now's the time to take action to change that policy to include what happens to employees' emails when employees leave the company. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.